Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What up, TCK Potters? Very happy to be back with you with another episode, episode 387 of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Sky Guasco. You can find me on Twitter at my name, Sky Guasco, S-K-Y-G-U-A-S-C-O. Also on Instagram at fantasyfootball underscore TCK pod on TikTok and Facebook as well. Have a very special episode today. We have a guest all the way from Canada, our first Canadian guest. Very excited about that. We've been trying to get him on for quite a long time. And uh, we're finally able to do that. And, of course, my man Bobby LaMarco, a.k.a. Fantasy Football X Factor, back with another episode. Today we are doing the rookie rundown for three different divisions. We're going to do the NFC West, the NFC East, and the NFC South. And we're going to just talk about the rookie impacts of these guys that are going to be immediate impacts on their team and what it might mean for some of these veterans coming in here. Without any further ado, let's welcome in our boys today. I want to welcome in my man, Bobby LaMarco, a.k.a. Fantasy Football X Factor. Y'all are very familiar. And for the first time on the TCK pod, at least with me, I'm not sure if you and Lucas have done an episode in the past, but I want to welcome in my man Bush from the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Bush, it's been a long time coming, brother. How are you? And thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sky. Yeah, we, we've kind of run in the same circles for like a year and a half now and never, <laughs> you know, chopped it up on the mic before. So, yeah, it's been it's been a while. I've never actually been on uh, with you or with Lucas. So this is my first appearance. Um, you can find everything that we're doing over at the fantasystockexchange.com. You can find our YouTube channel, Fantasy Stock Exchange. You just search that and you'll find us. My Twitter on the screen uh, at Football Stock and my uh, co-host, Danny Football 59. Um, yeah, we're always doing football stuff we got tons of dynasty content pumping out this week we've been putting out like daily videos for the last like week and a half now since the uh the nfl draft happened and since right before the draft so got a lot of content pumping out i love that man you guys are very very busy over on that side of course uh our lucas caser also part of the fantasy stock exchange from time to time as well we've also had tyler moss on the program too so we have kind of run in the same circles for quite a while so this is going to be a fun episode we have kind of a series here of the rookie rundowns and I mean, it's I'm, I'm not shy that I'm a 49ers fan. The Candlestick Kids podcast is named after their former stadium in San Francisco, where I grew up going to Niners and Giants games. Also, belated happy birthday to my man, Willie Mays, legendary, living legend, uh, San Francisco, New York baseball Giants legend, uh, 90 years young from my man, Willie Mays, happened yesterday. But Candlestick Park is where I grew up, so I'm a 49ers fan. Bobby is originally from New Jersey. Now he is in uh, sunny California, but he's a Giants fan. And Bush, you're up in Canada, but you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan coming off of uh, the Super Bowl, of course. So congratulations there. So we're going to have some fun here. We're just going to break down our respective divisions. I'm going to take the West. Bobby's going to take the East. Bush is going to take the South. And we're going to talk about the fantasy relevant players off the bat and the skill position players and what it might mean, coaching changes, what it means for fantasy, any vacancies, vacated targets, run game opportunities, all of that stuff. Bobby, I'm going to let you kick it off here. We're going to start in the East. I'll let you take whichever teams in a row you'd like to do. We'll go team by team, break down one of the teams. And again, we only kind of have two, three names per team. 
because we're talking specifically from these rookies, and then we'll get uh, feedback from us and we'll carry on. So, Bobby, why don't you kick it off, my man, and uh, start with the NFC East. Yeah, let's, let's talk about the Cowboys. And I think when we're looking just strictly from a fantasy football perspective, the first – and I think this is kind of a, a plug for myself, but I recently put out a couple posts about draft value and the the likelihood of a player in, picked in what round is going to become fantasy relevant. And what I realized from my analysis was – it really does matter. Like first day one and day two picks are much more likely to become fantasy relevant. So when I look at the Dallas Cowboys, they, they of course didn't have much need in the weaponry department. They have of course, CD lamb, Michael Gallup and company and Mari Cooper, of course. So with Dak Prescott coming back, you know, they did not draft a single fantasy relevant player, even on the offensive side, they did not draft anybody day one or day two. So that's just something I thought was notable. But when I'm looking at from a offensive scheme point perspective, I love Mike McCarthy going to his second second year. But something to keep in mind in the back of our heads, Dan Quinn's coming in to change that defense a little bit. Now, the reason why I bring that up is they had averaged 50 attempts per game the first four weeks with Dak Prescott. That's an unreal amount of volume. I don't expect that to happen again. Um, based on some of the things they tried to do on defense, they based all their early round picks on defense. They brought in a new defensive coordinator. So I think that's going to impact the offense because they're not going to need to be as pass heavy as they were that first month of the season. Plus their offensive line. Yes, they did not invest anybody on offensive line, but they are getting back Zach Martin to a full for a full season. Tyron Smith, Lando Collins, a bunch of guys. Pretty much their only true hole now on the offensive line is going to be the center position. And they brought in Connor McGovern, who was the PFF number nine uh, center in 2019. So I think there is a lot of room for optimism on the offensive line that just comes away from without even drafting anybody on the offensive line. And my final point, too, is I just want to keep this in the back of our minds for dynasty purposes and for just anybody who's looking for a keeper league. Michael Gallup and Dalton Schultz, for example, are both going to be free agents next year. Zeke Elliott does have an opt-out clause. So Tony Pollard, keep that in the back of your mind. He does have an opt-out for next year. So that's just a couple things. So I think my biggest winner when I was looking at all this could be a guy like Blake Jarwin. I did talk about this on our winners and losers episode, but the fact that he could take that role and even next year, if they lose Michael Gallup, if they lose Dalton Schultz, that should open up more opportunities for Blake Jarwin. So he's someone that could be a dynasty asset, um, someone undervalued right now. Bush, the the Cowboys only drafted one single skill position player uh, on in the fifth round, uh, Simi Fikahoko, and he's out of Stanford wide receiver. Again, they're loaded at wide receiver, obviously. So there's not really a lot to mention here for the Cowboys, but do you have anything to mention with any of the changes they've made so far? Uh, no, I think I'd push back a little bit on the Dan Quinn hire. Uh, to me, it, it kind of seems pretty similar to Mike Nolan's hire last year, kind of a has-been defensive coordinator uh, that is running a kind of an outdated scheme, in my opinion. So I don't expect their passing numbers to be the ungaudy like 50 attempts per game that they were when Dak Prescott was last healthy. But I still think this is a bottom 10 defense in the NFL because I think, especially when you look at what happened with Atlanta's defense, once Dan Quinn was fired, it was a top 10 unit in points per game. Once Dan Quinn was gone from there with the same personnel, they still had a rookie corner and AJ Terrell starting back there. They still had Kendall Sheffield who's a complete turnstile in coverage. I, I, I just think the Dan Quinn scheme, the Seattle Seahawks scheme doesn't work unless you have Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner to operate it, which the Cowboys do not. 
Yeah, I like that. That's a good Fair. point, and that's a good point too. Because another thing I, I didn't, I have in my notes here is that since 2019, they lost their two starting cornerbacks in Dallas. Chijobi and Uze is now with the Bengals, and they lost Byron Jones, of course, last year. And they haven't really replaced him. They did bring in a, a rookie cornerback in the second round, but to be honest with you, they don't have a lot of talent in the secondary. So that's a great point. This could be another, you know, pass-heavy uh, defense you could tackle through the pass game. Okay, Bobby, who's the next team in the NFC East? That'd be my New York Giants. Uh, I know Kadarius Tony's kind of the guy everyone's talking about, and I'm just going to preface preface this whole thing with 2021 is going to be a crowded, crowded offense. I mean, Daniel Jones has not proven that he can support that many weapons. You know, Jason Garrett's offenses from back in the day did not have that many fantasy relevant pass catchers. So I understand for 2021, Kadarius Tony seems like a little bit of a head scratcher. So, but the one thing I will say is that the Giants do have some moving parts. Uh, Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard actually has a potential out in 2022. Evan Ingram's a free agent. So there's going to be some potential um, opportunities for Kadarius Toney to take over that slot role permanently. For example, if he produces well and they think he could take over for Shepard. So I think this is a more of a 2022 and beyond kind of signing. For 2021, I'm just not interested. It's too much going on. Can't forget about Kenny Galladay. This team does have 134 vacated targets from last year, but at the same time, you know, I think the one thing I was thinking with for 2021 with Jason Garrett was, uh, you know, remind me of Tavon Austin a little bit when they tried to bring in Tavon Austin and do all these little gadget plays and Jason Garrett just couldn't figure it out. I'm not really excited for Tony in that sense for year one, but I think he could take the full-time slot role beyond that. Plus you have the return of Saquon Barkley. On the offensive side of piece, offensive line piece, they, they did release Kevin Zeitler. They replaced him with Zach Fulton, which is a downgrade. They do get Nate Solder back as well. So there is some movement up front, but they did start to put, once they fired Mark Colombo last year, it started to come together a little bit on the ground. The one thing that is key, they did not address this necessarily on the draft, but they brought in a Dory Jackson. Now they have him across from James Bradbury. They have a great duo. So this could be a very defense uh, focused team and run. So I think that overall it's going to be tough for these pass catchers to really exceed expectations, especially with so many uh, cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, Gary Brightwell also comes in from Arizona in the sixth round of running back. Uh, Daniel Jones has had a number of excuses so far, and I'm not going to downplay the guy too much, but he's been injured. He's had fumble issues. Saquon's been injured two years in a row. All the receivers and Evan Ingram have been injured for the last couple of years. Their defense has been horrendous. They were better in the back half of last season, but Daniel Jones is kind of – been able to point the finger not that he is per se but it's been able to not put all the attention on him he has all the weapons now the defense is getting better they bring in Kenny Galladay Kadarius Tony for another weapon Saquon's back healthy if he can't get it done this year he's going to be in trouble Bush anything to add with the Giants no I Bobby basically covered all the points that I would have probably added with the Tavon Austin reference from uh from Jason Garrett we we really saw them commit to Tavon Austin for some reason and think that he was going to be a big part of the Cowboys offense at least from what Dallas was saying that year. And Kadarius Tony, from a dynasty perspective, has always been a guy. There's a couple rookies every single year at wide receiver that you just know aren't going to make a big impact in their rookie season. And I think with Kadarius Tony, especially coming from Florida, where he was like a quarterback when he went there initially, he's only been playing the position a couple years. And that's a good reason why his like production was really down uh, for his years at Florida. So I think with Kadarius Tony coming in, it's probably a he's a replacement for Sterling Shepard when he does have that out in 2022, and he's probably their full time slot uh, by that point. And I guess we'll by then we'll probably know how Daniel Jones is going to fare in the NFL. He's kind of at the Baker Mayfield tipping point where we saw Mayfield take a big step forward 
this year after having a down sophomore year. Kind of the same thing with Daniel Jones. Hopefully he can do what Mayfield did and take the step forward. Absolutely. Bobby, who's next? Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I think you got to be excited about what the Eagles did. Of course, from the top down, bringing in Nick Sirianni. I know uh, it's the question still on him with Shane Steichen coming over as the offensive coordinator, but these guys actually have familiarity with each other from the Chargers days. They both were on the Ken Wisenhunt and, of course, Frank Wright. Um, so I do like the offensive philosophy that's coming over for the Eagles. But the biggest problem that was glaring for the Eagles last year was just everybody got hurt. The offensive line, the the weapons, everybody was out. And they have really done a good job addressing some of those needs. But some of those needs have been addressed by just getting healthy. Of course, Brandon Brooks, the PFF number one run blocking guard from last year, is coming back. You know, you're going to have Andre Dillard coming back, former first-round pick in 2019. Actually, a fun stat, one only one of five offensive linemen from 2019, that was their main starters, actually played over 10 games in 2020. So you're talking about four-fifths of their line didn't even play, you know, over half the games, essentially. So I think getting healthy on the offensive line. Then they draft Landon Dickerson. I've heard some good things about this kid. He could probably play guard year one and then kick over to place Jason Kelsey at center at some point. So that's just good news long term. Um, you know, they did bring in a new defensive coordinator uh, from the, the Colts secondaries coach, J- Jonathan Gannon. But same time, they haven't really done anything uh, to address the secondary problems. They did have a lot of they have Darius Slay, but he got cooked in the second half against some notable guys like DK Metcalf, which I think is, you know, fine. We're okay with that. It's not too terrible. But another thing I thought was notable, too, is, of course, Zach Ertz, is that looming? Is he going to get released? They do have an out for him to, you know, eliminate some of his later cap hits. So I think it makes sense for them to get rid of Zach Ertz. But another notable name is Dallas Goddard. It's actually a free agent next year. So it makes a lot of sense for them to – cut ties with Zach, uh, Zach Ertz so they can re-up with Dallas Goddard for the future. So I think that that's something that's notable for this team. But, of course, bringing Devonta Smith, first-round pick, gives him that elite guy. I did ask this question. Uh, this might be a good question for the group to kind of uh, answer. And um, I think – I asked actually Matt, Matt Harmon because I thought, hey, why not add him on Twitter? I thought maybe he'd answer. But uh, maybe he will. Um, is, is the biggest problem with Devonta Smith or smaller receivers in general is to get off press. Is that why they don't succeed in the NFL? Because I've heard Smith is awesome at getting off press somehow. So I think my question really is, if Devonta Smith is going to be a true number one, he's going to play on the outside. He's going to have to get And How do you guys feel about that pick? Is he going to be able to succeed on the outside off bigger corners, especially in a division now that has William Jackson and James Bradbury, which is guys are going to see twice a year. Um, so that's kind of just my question for you guys, how you think about that, if he's going to be able to succeed. But, when you look at the offense as a whole, it's Devonta Smith now. You have Jalen Rager, Dallas Goddard. Of course, I think Jalen Hurst, as much as it's kind of a you know obvious thing to say, I think the mobile quarterback, he's a rock-solid rock QB1 this year. Bush, why don't you take this one? Yeah, I think with the with the press coverage argument, to me, that's like a lazy argument on Devontae Smith. There's two ways to get off press coverage. The way I see it is you can get off press coverage with physicality, like someone like Jamar Chase. Um, how he would get off press coverage. And you can also get off press coverage with tremendous feet, which is how Devontae Smith wins. And if you guys remember Chad Johnson, that's how he won. And that's how he got off press coverage. And he was a slighter receiver as well. He was like 6'3", like 180 pounds. From a BMI standpoint, pretty comparable to Devontae Smith. So I think that's the way he's going to win in the NFL uh, in terms of playing on the outside. The, the number one thing for me with Devontae Smith is it reminds me a lot of A.J. Brown, his rookie year. We kind of were like so-so on the landing spot. Still got question marks about Jalen Hurts as a, as a passer. But when you're a young receiver 
And your primary job, if we're out on a playing recess or at recess playing football right now, the primary job of a wide receiver is to get open and catch the football. And nobody does it in this class better than Devontae Smith. And the numbers, uh, the top three receiving yardage leaders for the Philadelphia Eagles last year all had under 600 receiving yards. Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward, and Jalen Rager, and all of them ranked outside the top 60 in average yards of separation. So I think with, if nothing else, Devontae Smith will get open. He will catch the ball. And honestly, that's all the Philadelphia Eagles receiving core has needed the last couple of years. Nice. I think that's an excellent, excellent breakdown. I have nothing to add on that. I, I do think the more and more I, I get used to Devontae Smith in the NFL, I, Devontae Adams is another player. Now he's a bigger body receiver, of course, but every broadcast you've seen the last three years, Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, they highlight his feet. He is one of the NFL receivers that does not use his hands. When they play press coverage, he does not use his hands to fight off cornerbacks. He uses his feet, and his feet are so immaculate, he's able to get open. And look, Aaron Rodgers is amazing. Devontae Adams is amazing. But when he catches the ball with two yards of separation, that is very, very rare in the NFL. And Devontae Adams mm -hmm. makes it happen routinely. And I'm not saying Devontae Smith is Devontae Adams by any means yet. But if he's got the footwork, he can he can get by those guys because he's not going to go through anybody. But I think he can go around them quickly, and then it's a foot race, and he's going to win most of those battles there. Yeah, and so, you saw that with AB and Stephon Diggs and some of those other guys that have like that twitchy route running nuance to them, and his own teammate Jerry Judy is the exact same way. Love it, Bobby. Who's the last one here? Washington football team. I think I think it's just say Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, team now I'm just all in on that really excited for him um, but I was looking at this though like it's good to see they made some investments because that defense is legit I mean we all know that but then they brought in William Jackson I brought that up a couple times already but that's important because now they just need to focus on the offense obviously the QB carousel is kind of you know that's over and done with Ryan Fitzpatrick brings some stability to that team which is kind of ironic five years ago I don't think any of us would have said that but he's really pr improved his game over the last couple of years so I like Ryan Fitzmagic coming in, but the Deami Brown, I know we talked a little bit about him. I think he's very notable because one of the things I was thinking in my back of my head was Adam Humphreys got signed in. Adam Humphreys is like that prototypical slot guy. Does that mean Curtis Samuel is going to have to go back out wide and play more on the outside like he did two years ago? Or with Deami Brown, if he's the one that emerges, can he play on the outside, kick Samuel back into the slot? I think that's something I'll be watching very closely. Because Samuel played very well in the interior last year, and I think that would be a better suited role for him than playing just primarily outside. So that's a, that's something I'll watch. If Humphreys becomes the main slot guy, it could be something that we have to factor in when we look at a guy like Curtis Samuel. But they invested a second-round pick in the offensive line. They also traded for Eric Flowers, who actually – Re, as a Giants fan, this burns a little, but he resurrected his career in Washington a couple of years ago as a guard. He comes over now. So they're investing in that offensive line. And based on their other moves, like really they have Antonio Gibson, which were, I think a lot of us are excited, that CMC type of player in the scheme that's run by the Turner uh, Turner and and, and, uh, and um, the head coach, Ron Rivera. Sorry, blank there. My screen just turned off. But one of the guys that I think is kind of notable, too, is Logan Thomas is a free agent next year. Is he going to get a re-signing here? Because there's a lot of mouths to feed. It's going to be interesting with a good defense like the Washington football team has. I'm interested to see, is there going to be enough pass on to support Curtis Samuel, Naomi Brown, uh, to a lesser extent, Adam Humphreys, of course, Terry McLaurin, who's the alpha, Logan Thomas, Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick. 
I just think that, you know, in a lot of these offenses, you kind of throw a question mark. So I guess I'll throw it back to you guys. How do you feel about the room ever being a little too crowded? Do you think Ryan Fitzpatrick can support maybe two or three pass catchers this year? I have been super infatuated with De'Ami Brown for this entire offseason. He's been my guy, and I've said this on the podcast a few times on we all know about the big names give me a deeper name at each position who are you feeling i've literally typed diami brown on like 50 different comments threads just because i love the separation now he goes in the third round i know he has question marks people are worried that he's only a one-trick pony whatever i believe he's more than that eventually uh bush i know you've done a lot with rookies previous to the draft on field in college um can you stoke my fire in diami brown or have i am i am i a little too hyped he was my wide receiver six pre-draft. I had him ahead of Rondell Moore. I had him ahead of uh, Terrace Marshall from a film grade perspective. I love De'Ami Brown. So oh, I love to I hear that. Awesome. All the way on board with this take. And when you think about the type of receivers that Ryan Fitzpatrick has gravitated towards in his past couple stops, you think about Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans in Tampa Bay. You think about how he resurrected Devontae Parker's career a couple of years ago. He likes guys that stretch the field. That's just the way that he operates. And De'Ami Brown isn't a 4-2 runner. He's not going to stretch the field from a speed perspective. But he's deceptively fast. He's a long strider, and he's physical uh, at the catch point, too. So De'Ami Brown, let's not pretend that Curtis Samuel was productive when Ron Rivera was the head coach of, of Carolina. He was the the guy that we were talking about, all his air yards that were unrealized and stuff like that. Like. With, with Curtis Samuel, we really only saw him break onto the scene and, and reach his full potential this year when Matt Rule came in. So he's going back to the same coaching staff that misused him all those years in Carolina. I'm not saying he's going to be useless, but he, he's a guy that's always going to be kind of capped around that 80 to 100 target range anyway. And if you're, if you're giving 140, 150 to Terry McLaurin, there should be plenty of room for De'Ami Brown to establish a role in this offense. And hey, if any injuries happen to, to McLaurin or to Samuel, I think De'Ami Brown could really, really spark a co uh, connection with Ryan Fitzpatrick and build some momentum going into his second year from a dynasty perspective. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Just my one last thought about that too. That's exactly his, the exact reason why I'm thinking maybe Brown could take a starting role on the outside, kick Samuel back inside because they use Jarius Wright all the time in the slot under Ron Rivera. So this would make a lot of sense based on everything you're saying. But Adam Humphreys is like, he's, good he's like a good nfl he's like i guess he's like a poor man's cole beasley but he's very productive it's slot guy so i'm just curious to see how you guys thought about that but i think brown is definitely someone that's now on my radar yeah, yeah he's a big training camp buzz guy like you know uh, i always say um coaches what you like you know how you hear like oh this guy's like in the best shape of his life or this guy's ready to be a workhorse when you hear <laughs> it once it doesn't mean anything but when you hear it in patterns from multiple sources from coaches from quarterbacks, from other teammates in the position room, from their position coaches, that's when you have a true like training camp buzz. And that's when you get a Darren Waller. And that's when you get a Terry yeah. McClure in his rookie year. And if you start hearing some things about De'Ami Brown like that, he's a guy I would really, really pay attention to come training camp time. Because if he's able to establish a connection with Fitzpatrick and he's getting a lot of buzz, it would not shock me at all if he surpasses Curtis Samuel in the depth chart and the pecking order really fast. Oh, I love that. I love that call, I, man. I've been I've been hyped on De'Ami Brown for a long time. I'm glad to hear someone else jump on the wagon. I, and, and by the way, you're not trashing those reports because I, I can't wait for those reports. I can't wait to hear how so good some guy look, works looks in shorts. I'm looking forward to it. We awesome. got the preseason this year so we can see them in preseason <laughs> yes. games too, which is beautiful. That is true. All right, before we get to Bush breaking down the NFC South, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm going to kick you guys off. 
get some water. Feel free to take a quick break here for about 30 seconds. I'm going to jump in and give a shout out to our friends at the Jersey Jungle. Ladies and gentlemen, you are no stranger to the Jersey Jungle if you follow the TCK pod here. Bush has one, two, three, four, five jerseys that I can see. I have two behind me, but I've got about 30 of them total. The Jersey Jungle on Instagram, the Jersey Jungle, DM them. Look through their stock. They have every sport imaginable. They have football, baseball, hockey, soccer, basketball, custom, home and away, throwback jerseys, rookie jerseys. They're working on NFL rookies right now for the NFL. I already have two orders getting in, getting ready to be put in for the Jersey Jungle. So hit them up on Instagram. Look through their inventory at the Jersey Jungle. Use the promo code TCK to receive 10% off of one or two jerseys and 15% off of three jerseys. The best part of this is they're authentic jerseys. They're stitch and twill. They are very, very high quality jersey. I would not be selling you garbage. I promise you. I have many, many jerseys and they're very clean. You can see Julio Jones and Larry Fitzgerald, two future Hall of Famers behind me today. And you've seen all the jerseys in the past. These jerseys start at $65 on the Jersey Jungle and you get 10 or 15% using the promo code TCK. So quite literally, you can get three jerseys for just about the same it would take to be one jersey on NFL.com at about $120 a pop. So if you like the Fitzgerald behind me, Stitch and Twill, you like the Julio Jones behind me, again, it's pre- it's stitched on, not pressed on. Feel free to hit up the Jersey Jungle. Shouts out to my boy Trenton and the rest of the crew over there we're going to bring the boys back here once again my man bush coming in from canada this evening and host of the fantasy stock exchange a long time uh friend of the tck pod but first time on and bobby lamarco of course fantasy football x factor all right we just got through the nfc east breaking down the four teams bush i'm gonna turn it over to you buddy go ahead and run us down the nfc south let's go team by team yeah, real quick. I actually have a jersey from the Jersey Jungle. You didn't know this about me, but I, I have a, a Jackie Robinson like 42 and it's got a bunch oh. of custom like stitching on it or whatever. I actually, my oh. buddy like stole it from me, so I can't actually show you it, but I do have it. And it's, it, I can attest that it's, it's a pretty high quality um, Bro, jersey. And it's got that, some cool like stitching. Get that jersey back. A Jackie Robinson, go get that. Mm-hmm. If you want to leave the podcast right now, we'll wait a few hours for you to get that jersey and come back if you want to. Um, Jackie Robinson just celebrated Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, April 15th, of course. Don't get me started on baseball, bro. I'm, I'm a baseball fiend, but that's awesome, man. Shouts out Jersey Jungle. Bush approved. Appreciate you, man. Take us through the NFC South. Um, I'm de- deciding which team I want to start with, but I'm going to start with the team that hoisted a Lombardi trophy because I feel like uh, bragging that my team won the Super Bowl for the first time since you know I was able to functionally understand football. Uh, and we did it in very convincing fashion, as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers often do in Super Bowls. Um, from a fantasy perspective, we had a couple of additions that are, are relevant for fantasy, but I would say more so for dynasty purposes. Neither of these guys are probably anybody that anyone just playing in redraft leagues need to keep their eye on. But Kyle Trask, the quarterback from Florida, if you're a college football fan, you probably know who Kyle Trask is. He was, I believe it was like third or fourth in the Heisman voting this past year, but he's a very productive quarterback in college. He's a guy that is in the mold of Tom Brady. He's a a point guard. He's the guy that will put the ball where it needs to be. He's a smart intellectual quarterback, but he's not one in the way of physical tools, much like Trey Lance and Zach Wilson and Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence were in this past quarterback class. So I don't know what to think about this pick from a, uh, from a fan standpoint, because I I personally didn't, I don't like the upside of a guy like Kyle Trask, but 
when you're talking about him as a player and how he fits into the Bruce Arians scheme, again, I, I don't think it's personally a great fit because he doesn't have a huge arm, which we know Bruce Arians always covets. But if nothing else, this is a guy that they're looking to groom and develop and teach the mental side of the game. And there's, a, there's absolutely nobody more perfect to teach him the mental side of the game than Tom Brady, a guy who has not had the mobility uh, advantage that some of the younger quarterbacks in the league have. Absolutely. Any thoughts on Jalen Darden before we give you replies? Yeah, uh, Jalen Darden is a guy that is primarily going to play on special teams. I don't think we're going to see him very much involved uh, as a receiver in general because we know how loaded that receiver core is. They got Mike Evans, they got Chris Godwin, they got Antonio Brown, who they recently re-signed, uh, fifth-rounder Tyler Johnson, who probably should have went earlier in that draft, and they got Scotty Miller, who is Captain Clutch, man. That guy just makes plays every time he's on the field. So I think Jalen Darden is going to be their day-one kick returner, replacing Jaden Mickens. I think he's going to be their punt returner as well. The the real question is, once some of these guys move on, if they do, if Antonio Brown, let's say, uh, hangs it up after this year, um, are they going to just insert Tyler Johnson into the next um, kind of Antonio Brown role? Are they going to move Scotty Miller up the depth chart? It's just a very crowded room. I think Jalen Darden is really just buried right now and stuck in kind of a special teams role. He's more so a guy I would just keep on your on your radar if he is making a huge impact. Maybe he gets some more snaps on offense, but he's a guy that's it's going to be a special teams uh, situation for him. Man, I really, really like Tyler Johnson. I loved his limited work last year out of Minnesota. He's going to be a great prospect later on. Bobby, any thoughts on the Buccaneers? You know what the thing is with Tom Brady, the situation with him is going to make this almost year to year, right? Because next year, you know, technically Chris Godwin is playing on the franchise tech. He could be gone. Antonio Brown, one-year contract. O.J. Howard, who's also coming back. Is on is going to be done after next year, but the thing is, I feel like Tom Brady's just going to be like, "Hey, you know, I want to come back again. Let's run it back again." And then next thing you know, they'll figure it out, and then these guys will come. So I think from a dynasty perspective, you're kind of on hold with guys like even Scotty Miller. I think a lot of people forget he was a very productive player for them last year too. So you know, I think for this year though, I'm all. I mean, how many teams can return 22 off starters? It's just insane. I just think that Tom Brady started clicking that second half of the year. He was just in the zone. I think I'm still buying all these bucks. I know they brought Antonio Brown back. I know they brought Chris Godwin. They have, you know, Mike Evans and they have OJ Howard. But at the same time for me, I'm just thinking in my head, like I think Tom Brady could get even better. We've seen Carson Palmer, other quarterbacks in their second season under Bruce Arians really make a statistical leap, which is just would could you only imagine another fifty another two thousand seven, another Randy Moss year, I guess, but um, I don't think that's going to happen. But at the same time, I, that's why I'm really excited about the Bucs is I still believe they can make even more improvements or at least continue to build on that second half of the season. I absolutely yeah, I, agree. I, yeah, uh, from Scotty Miller's perspective, he's such an interesting case too because he was actually their leading receiver before they signed Antonio Brown. And they put him on the bench once they signed Antonio Brown, obviously. So he's a guy that I, I don't think gets enough love from dynasty circles, from NFL circles. He just, all he did was make impact plays. And he's a guy that is Tom Brady really has a lot of faith in too, which is which is really not surprising knowing Tom Brady's history with small white receivers. But nonetheless, I think with Tom Brady, you're looking at a year over year system as you uh, situation as you mentioned. But man, this guy's like psychotic in the head. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. He, he's proven he's the goat, and he still doesn't care. He he wants to add a third Hall of Fame caliber section of his career to his full length 22 years or whatever that he's been in the NFL. Yeah. It's are very we buying any of these guys, 
Are we buying any of these guys, you think? Like, Sky, would you buy, I guess, like a third-round rookie pick? Or oh, Godwin something? is the number one buy in Dynasty for me right now because yeah. you mentioned how does a team bring back all 22 starters? Mike Greenberg and Jason Light and Jackie Davidson are the reason. Before the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were any good, they've been the best salary cap management team in the entire league. And you, If you don't believe me, you can go and look on Track or on Over the Cap and look at how their contracts are structured. These guys will never be in salary cap hell. And I think Chris Godwin, if people are like, oh, well, he's going to be moving on to a new team next year. We never, we, like, you never know what those kind of situations, like what if he goes to like the Jets or like a bad team, his value might go down. No, he's not going anywhere. Well, I was, I was actually thinking like Scotty Miller. Do, you, do we think, in, is this guy's even worth it? Is it is, like, do we see Antonio Brown hanging it up next year? If Godwin stays and Mike Evans stays, is Scotty Miller or a Tyler Johnson even worth a dynasty, like a low value pick? They're probably depth guys. It's probably going to require an injury or something for them to get on the field and make a big impact from a long-term perspective. They'd really have to make a big impact for them to just be like, oh yeah, we're going to let Chris Godwin walk in free agency or once Antonio Brown leaves, we're not going to replace you at all. Uh, we're just going to move Tyler up in the depth chart or Scotty up in the depth chart and and they're going to be kind of impact players. I think they're both talented enough to, to be in that situation. I just don't know how much faith um bruce arians has in them specifically to just be like yep tyler johnson you're wide receiver three on this roster now yeah yep year by year and, and tom brady could win it again this year go back to back and then try to three-peat <laughs> or or if they lose uh, is he going to say i'm not going out on a loss and then come back and try again anyway so either way we should see tom for the next couple of years at least all right man great breakdown on the buccaneers who you got next in the south yeah, this one shouldn't take too long because they didn't really make a whole lot of fantasy relevant moves. But the New Orleans Saints, um, much to my uh, laughter, because I absolutely despise the New Orleans Saints as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. But they took Ian Book in the fourth round. Um, I believe his over under on where he was going to get drafted was like in the 200s. So I found it kind of hilarious that they picked him that uh, that high, along with their first round pick, who I thought was a major reach as well. So New Orleans is in a weird situation, obviously, with their quarterbacks, former uh a guy of mine that I know very well in Jameis Winston, presumably expected to win the starting job there. To me, that's what makes the most logical sense because if Jameis wins the starting job, you can still use Taysom Hill in all the variety of ways that Sean Payton's used to using him. And I know for everybody's Alvin Kamara shares, they want Jameis Winston to be the quarterback as well. And probably for Michael Thomas's sake as well. I think this is a team ready to bounce back from an offensive standpoint, but I think from a winning perspective, from a defensive perspective, their defense is bound to get worse with all the, um losses that they experience especially in the secondary they they're a team that's going to be in an i could see them going four and four and 12 or i could see them going 11 and five like they have been the past couple of years so new orleans is in a tricky situation but i think if nothing else they're probably throwing the ball a little bit more than they were the, uh, the past couple of years and yeah. deeper I mean, they're going to be airing it out a little bit more. I mean, you know, Breeze just lost some air out of the ball, and I think that helps Michael Thomas, but it doesn't help the offense overall. Alvin Kamara is obviously the biggest question mark. We'll see what happens there. But Bobby and I have talked to nauseam about Adam Troutman. We love Adam Troutman because Jameis, Jameis <laughs> specifically loves the tight end. Sean Payton loves the tight end. This offense loves the tight end, and Troutman can stretch the field or play the under route. So Troutman's really kind of a – a later name sleeper guy that I could see being a Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, um, you know, Logan Thomas of the last few years. Right. That could be uh, Adam Troutman for me. Bobby, uh, quick thoughts on the Saints? You know what the thing is? We're on a holding pattern until we find out is it going to be Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. I, I truly, you just drafted Alvin Kamara at six in our, in our dynasty league. 
I, I just think that in the four games with Taysom Hill, we just saw his passing game usage was not s- sustainable. I mean, he's getting over 100 targets per year with the Saints with Drew Brees, and I just think that you can, he can lose 25 to 30% of his target volume. And last year, he had the same number of carries as Frank Gore. He's not a big volume rusher. So for Alvin Kamara to be a top five back, he needs to flirt with that 80 to 100 target range. And I'm not saying that Alvin Kamara is going to come a bum. I just think he's more of a low-end RB, RB1 with, with Taysom Hill. And I think James Winston at least offers more of a pure pack, pocket passer presence to check down to running backs. And he did check down to Alvin Kamara in his very, very limited, like, 10 passes. He did throw to Alvin Kamara a lot. So I think that is – we're in a holding powder with the Saints until we, we know about the quarterback. I want to I want to double up on that Bush and I'll let you get going here in the south. Um Jameis if you dial back to the Buccaneers days with Chris Sims specifically, um Jameis also checked down to him. Chris Sims had 70 targets back-to-back seasons and this guy was out like for a quarter of the season each year, but he was kind of one of our sleeper PPR James White light guys for a couple years a few years ago because Jameis was able to sustain him. So Jameis, we know Jameis is the the YOLO ball, right? The Mike Evans 80-yard bombs. But Jameis also is going to check it down. And I've said this the day Jameis left um, Tampa Bay and ended up in New Orleans. Sean Payton is not going to tolerate that. I mean, an interception happens. Drew Brees threw interceptions. But he is not going to tolerate chucking the ball to chuck the ball. You know, two, three interception games will not tolerate it. I wrote all this out um, before I made my pick in the Dynasty League we're in. Uh, I took Alvin Kamara at number six um, in a dynasty league. It's kind of weird settings. It's full PPR, so I went with Kamara. But in weeks one to 10 and 15 to 19, when he played with Drew Brees through the playoffs, he was RB2 behind only Christian McCaffrey. Weeks 11 through 14 with Taysom Hill, he was RB19. And in week 14 only, when they actually used him as a pass catcher, he had seven receptions on 10 targets. That single game over 16 games would have put him at about 358 PPR points, 22 and a half per game or RB three behind his self and Dalvin cook. So I know it's a long shot, but Alvin Kamara still has the ability. Very, very balanced, incredible running back. We saw the six touchdown game. Don't expect that. The point is he's the guy they want in the end zone. I know Michael Thomas was injured a lot of last year, but even two years ago, Michael Thomas is the best fantasy player in the league. Alvin Kamara was right behind him, even on a down season. So don't sleep on Kamara too much, especially if Jameis is the boss there. All right, man, why don't you pick in the squad I, uh, here? Can I put your for, mind uh, in the real quick before we get off the New Orleans Saints? Please. I talked about this during the season when it was actually happening, but if you go back and look at Alvin Kamara's snap counts when Taysom Hill took over the starting job, there was a period of three games where they played Atlanta twice and Denver with no quarterbacks. Like they had Kendall Hinton mm-hmm. or whoever was playing that game. Yeah. And Alvin Kamara was injured. Uh, he had, he wasn't practicing. He was, I, I can't remember exactly what the injury was off the top of my head. I think it was like a knee injury or something like that. And if you got to think from a, from a coaching staff perspective, you're playing the Atlanta Falcons who had already fired their coach at that point. They were in the dumpster. Your starting running back is banged up and your, your starting quarterback, your hall of fame caliber quarterback is, is currently not on the field. Why are you risking Alvin Kamara's health in those games? You have a capable backup in Latavius Murray and the snap counts dipping is a real thing for me. And why I think that's what Sean Payton did was he just, I'm going to, I'm going to rest Alvin Kamara a little bit until Drew comes back. So we have him for the playoffs. Cause we don't want to be uh, having our star running back, not in, on the field for that point in time. And then when you mentioned, uh, I believe it was week 14 when he had a 71% snap share and was back to his normal self, like Taysom Hill started that game. 
I think that was when he started. Yeah. It, I, I haven't pulled it up and gone back and looked at the practice reports. I'm going to at some point in the offseason if the Alvin Kamara uh, hate continues, but I'd have no problems taking Alvin Kamara at the top of a redraft league or at the top of a dynasty league. I seriously think it was just an unfortunate coincidence. And if you're able to parse through that and think like a coach and not like a fantasy player, then you're going to realize that Alvin Kamara was just banged up and Sean Payton was doing the right thing for his football team. And you're going to get a discount on Alvin Kamara because people are going to be worried about, especially if Taysom Hill gets the starting job. I I love the take, man. Deami Brown, Alvin Kamara, you're firing me up. Yeah, so (laughs) to a more interesting fantasy team, and as far as the NFL draft, I talked about Atlanta already, but the Atlanta Falcons uh, took what I would consider uh, a generational tight end prospect, definitely the best tight end prospect I've ever seen. In Kyle Pitts, I mean, the, the dude can do it all. He's He can stretch the field. He can run routes on the outside. He can run them from the slot. He separates versus corners, DBs, linebackers. It does not matter. This dude is an absolute freak of nature. And we have an interesting kind of impasse with the Atlanta Falcons as a franchise right now because with their fourth overall pick, they could have decided we have a new regime out with the old, in with the new. Let's get rid of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and take Trey Lance or or Kyle or uh, Justin Fields or Mac Jones or whoever the quarterback they would have wanted at four was. But instead, they decided to stick with their current regime, their current quarterback. Presumably, they're going to stick with Julio Jones. We still don't know what that kind of situation is at right now. But they added a weapon for Matt Ryan, and they also added uh, Jalen Mayfield and Drew Dahlman, two offensive linemen, uh, towards the third and fourth round of the draft, one to replace Alex Mack, presumably, and then another uh, interior offensive line presence. So, I think with Atlanta, they kind of showed you what they're trying to do. They're trying to win this year. They're trying to um, elongate Matt Ryan's tenure in uh, in Atlanta, and they're using Kyle Pitts to do that. And Kyle Pitts definitely should overtake Hayden Hurst and virtually kill any fantasy value that he had left. And I would imagine if this is not Julio Jones, if Julio Jones doesn't play this year, he's definitely not playing after this year. So from a dynasty perspective, I think Kyle Pitts is set to move into the like X receiver number one target role within at least the next two years, in my opinion. I like that a lot. Yeah. Bobby, thoughts on the Falcons? <laughs> you know, it's going to be the thing with the the Kyle Pitts pick is, you know, Arthur Smith is a tight ends coach at trade and he came up through the ranks with the Tennessee Titans as a tight end coach. And as soon as he became OC, I know a lot of people don't realize this because John o. Smith was fine, but he was legitimately splitting one the first five games of the year. Yeah, I mean, he was he was he was a low end tight end one for the end of the year. But the thing was, he split work with Anthony Ferks for fifty five to forty five on a target perspective. But if you combine their metrics together, they were the tight end three as a duo. And I think Anthony Ferkser had a lot more of a impact uh, between the twenties than he should have. But Kyle Pitts is not going to have that problem. So I think Kyle Pitts right away is definitely going to be on the tight end one radar. I don't know. I guess a good question is how high are you willing to take Kyle Pitts in a redraft league for 2021? I guess I'll toss it back down to you. Um, is it top five? Is it where, where would you think you'd take Kyle Pitts? He, I mean, it's all going to depend on where the ADP actually lies because he's at a point where he's got the upside to do it his rookie year. If any tight end can break the rookie tight end kind of curse where they're not able to produce right away, it's Kyle Pitts. And I think you mentioned Arthur Smith's abil- um, ability to use tight ends. He had Johnny Smith in the slot for 144 snaps last year. He had him out wide for 61 snaps and in the backfield for 22 snaps. So this is a guy that's going to use Kyle Pitts in in a variety of ways. He's not just going to throw him at his uh, inline tight end and be like, hey, you're either blocking or running a route. No, like this guy's going to get involved in the game plan. And I think top 12 is a reasonable projection for him in a redraft league, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I think the other guy that's really notable here, too, is Mike Davis. I mean, listen, I think everyone's shocked they didn't come out of this draft with a running back. Um, I, I, I talked about this a little bit because the biggest thing that drove one of one of only I looked at how many guys got 20, 200 touches last year. Mike Davis was only one of three guys that had over 40 percent of their production come from the run game. And that's where he did a lot of his damage in Carolina last year. He's I don't see them needing to throw it to him that much when they have Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. So I think I'm a little I know there's a little bit of excitement because Arthur Smith had Derrick Henry. Even before Derrick Henry, they had like DeMarco Murray, RB1 seasons. You know, Chris Johnson had a monster year with Arthur Smith on the coaching staff. But I just don't see maybe Mike Davis, maybe a low-end RB2. I guess another good question to kick down to you is where are you thinking Mike Davis is now that he's basically the lead back? Are you willing to take him as a top 18 or top 24 running back this year? I think he's like every year there's a guy that gets ruined by post training camp cuts. And I think it's Mike Davis this year. Someone's going to get cut in training camp, whether it's Mm -hmm. like, usually it's like Adrian Peterson or like Frank Gore that get cut in training camp or they sign with a team right before the season starts. And I could totally see everybody who invested like a ninth round pick in Mike Davis and best ball drafts all summer, just being collectively shocked that Mike Davis is not going to be the full status workhorse of the Atlanta Falcons. I think the interesting thing to me is that Atlanta literally traded away the pick that was Javante Williams to the Denver Broncos. To me, that was shocking because they could have just been like, no, Denver, we're going to sit here and and pick this guy because from a a physical running standpoint, he matches the type of running back that Derrick Henry is. Obviously not with the size that Derrick Henry boasts, but I think Mike Davis has a chance to go into the season as a starter, but I'd be willing to bet they're going to add a post-training camp cut, maybe a second or third or fourth wave of free agency, whatever you want to call it, kind of add in the next couple uh, weeks here because now we have – you can make free agent additions without it affecting the compensatory formula. So Mm -hmm. there's no reason for teams not to sign any uh, free agent running backs that might be out there to go with a guy like Mike Davis. I got all my answers. I got all (laughs) So we're good. Attaboy. How about the Panthers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Panthers are a much more interesting situation as well uh, compared to New Orleans. But Terrace Marshall was the uh, the big attraction as far as a fantasy um, prospect was concerned. And I think the interesting thing about Terrace Marshall, obviously we know that he was with Joe Brady back in 2019 with the historical LSU Tigers offense, the Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Terrace Marshall. Terrace Marshall was kind of the odd man out in that situation. He was a relative unknown at that time. But we learned a lot about him this year. And I think, The interesting thing uh, with Joe Brady in 2019 is that Terrace Marshall played 35% of his snaps from the slot at LSU while sharing that slot role with Justin Jefferson, who we know is a very, very good receiver based on his ability to produce in the NFL. In 2020, that number jumped to 82% of his snaps from the slot. And anybody who's been paying attention to Carolina knows that Curtis Samuel was their slot receiver last year, 52, 55% of his snaps. And Curtis Samuel vacates 97 total targets, 851 yards and uh, three touchdowns from the Carolina Panthers offense, and 66 of those targets, 582 of those yards, and one of those touchdowns came from the slot. So a lot of people, I would imagine their initial reaction is that Terrace Marshall is going to replace Robbie Anderson once his contract is up a year from now. But what I think Matt Rule and his staff realized is that this guy can be our big slot, the type of role that a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster has in, um, in Pittsburgh. And we saw Curtis Samuel feature featured in that Jefferson Marshall role that Joe Brady ran at LSU. And he finally lived up to his draft billing because like I mentioned before, Curtis Samuel was always a guy that people had on their sleepers list because of his unrealized air yards and stuff like that. But once he was moved into a situation that he was more comfortable with, he was able to actually produce. And I believe he finished as a top 
30 wide receiver in redraft this past year. So with Samuel gone, Joe Brady should likely have uh, Marshall back into that role that he was in at LSU. And coincidentally too, no, like their new quarterback, Sam Darnold, his favorite receiver his entire career has been slot receivers, whether it's Jamison Crowder, even back to his USC days with Juju Smith-Schuster. So, I mean, to me, it's all coming full circle. And whether he replaces Robbie Anderson on the outside a year from now, whether he stays in the slot a year from now, I, I think he's a phenomenal fit for this offense. I think that's a great call, man. And Bobby and I have talked a lot about big slot receivers when you get, you know, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, um, Julio Jones, even he's primarily outside, of course, but Keenan Allen is a bigger, bigger slot guy. You put those people in the slot, it's an immediate mismatch. They can run away from linebackers. They can outmuscle most corners. And if you bring a free safety down to take care of a bigger player, you can then take the top off. So the mismatch is, is right there. I think that's a great call. And Terrace Marshall is a hell of a player. And real quick, before I uh, talk, uh, get off of Terrace Marshall, a lot of people will be like, oh, why wouldn't they just put DJ Moore in the slot? Because DJ Moore did play in the slot at Maryland, and everyone kind of just assumes that he's a slot receiver. He actually is never used in that way. Like, he never has been in his NFL career. He only played 15% of the sla uh, snaps from the slot last year, which was, th like, the third most on the Panthers, even behind Robbie Anderson, who a lot of people would think is a primarily an outside receiver. And the previous regime, when Ron Rivera and uh, North Turner were running the Panthers, he wasn't using the slot there either. It was like 12% of the time. So like I said, I think this is the slot receiver. This is the Curtis Samuel replacement. It's not uh shy Smith who they took from South Carolina in the sixth round, who I guess is kind of interesting. I, I I'm not really all that interested in him. He's more of like a deep league stash in a dynasty league or a taxi squad type of guy. But I seriously think they're going to shift more towards a big slot in uh, 2021. I agree. 1,000%. Yeah, 1,000%. Now, one thing I will say that this little wrinkle about this whole thing is that Robbie Anderson was actually extremely productive from the slot last year. He did have over 30% of his snaps inside, and he actually was fifth in the NFL in yards per route run from the slot. Um, so he was very productive. So it could be because is it true that Marshall was a better on the outside than inside at LSU? What, what, what's your feedback on that? No, I think he was better from the slot, a lot better, okay. to be honest. All I, right. I think – from from a, pro, a prospect perspective, I wasn't the highest person person on Terrace Marshall. I thought he needed some work to do uh, beating press coverage with some. He wasn't the most physical guy, which is surprising because he has the size to be the most physical guy on the field. But he, he kind of got overpowered on the outside a little bit. And mm -hmm. I thought he was a lot more uh, fluid on the inside, if that makes any sense, because he, he just didn't have the kind of quick twitch, like nuanced route running to play on the outside. So I think, honestly, he fits better in the slot. And I know Joe Brady will be creative with these guys. He'll move. Sometimes he'll have Marshall on the outside and Robbie in the slot and all that stuff. But when you have a mismatch of three receivers like that, that's the type of thing you can get away with, right? And like I said, even if it, if this year Terrace Marshall has a bit more of a down rookie season because he was a bit more of a raw prospect coming out, by next year he should be the number two in that offense, assuming Robbie Anderson um, moves on. But they could also re-sign him as well. So uh, you never know. I think he can establish a slot role right away, though. Gotcha. And what are your thoughts on Tommy, this tight end they took in the third round? Is he any prospect for as a pass catcher? Because last year, Ian Thomas was like a, a non-factor, like 31 targets. So do you think he could have a bigger role and will that impact the wide receiver trio? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pulling up Tommy Tremble's athletic scores right now because I actually have him. This guy's a good athlete, man. He, uh, he has 107.45 weight adjusted speed score, which is a very indicative thing for tight ends. He's a guy that was clearly like just buried in the depth chart at Notre Dame. He had Cole Komet, obviously, who was a second round pick of uh, Chicago Bears a couple of years ago, I believe last year. And Michael Mayer, who's like the best tight end recruit prospect 
out of high school in like a long time. So this was a guy that doesn't have the production profile that you want to see from a college tight end, but he does have the athletic profile that you want to see from a college tight end. So Matt rule loves speed. Every time I've heard of Matt rule interview, he just talks about speed and, and being athletic and uh, give me athletes and I'll teach them how to play football type of uh, coach. So if Tommy Tremble takes a year, which he can definitely do because he's got Dan Arnold ahead of him on the depth chart and he's got uh, Ian Thomas still ahead of him on the depth chart, I believe both of those guys are gone after this year. So from a dynasty perspective, Tommy Tremble's a guy, perfect taxi squad pick. Just uh, draft him, throw him on your taxi squad for a year and he should be good to go in 2022. Cool. I think that's a great call. And you remember uh, Matt Rule at Baylor, right, in the Big Ten, I mean, or Big 12, I guess, you're um, – <laughs> Running and gunning all day long, right? And right. He, he likes he likes that spread offense. All right, boys, before we get into it, I want to give a quick shout-out to Bomb Banana, Bomb Banana Hot Sauce, banana-based, not banana-flavored. Yo, this stuff is absolutely delicious. We just had a bunch of Bomb Banana Hot Sauce on uh, our draft goodies. Uh, the missus uses it. We had some uh, house-made tacos uh, from my daughter the other night. We put some on those. It was absolutely delicious. Four roommates, good buddies out of the University of Michigan, shouts out to the Michigan Wolverines, Go Blue, created this bomb banana hot sauce. Again, banana-infused, not banana-flavored hot sauce. They just had a great feature article in Forbes magazine. That's right, folks, the Forbes magazine. These guys had a great shout-out in there, so you can check out that article. Go to seekthespice.com, and on your order, make sure you use the promo code TCK for 10% off of your order and they can send you out a handful of bottles. I have them right behind me. I like to show these off every time right here with the red sauce. We were just talking about Bush pre-show here. He's a spice guy. He likes his hot wings. He likes spice over flavor. Sometimes we've got the muy muy. We've got the bland as well. I'm more of a uh, flavor than a spice guy, but I respect the spice too. So go to seekthespice.com, bomb banana, hot sauce, banana infused, banana based, not banana flavored. All right, boys, I'm going to jump in here to the NFC West. I'll go through mine kind of quickly here. Um, I've talked about the Niners at nauseum, but we haven't had Bush on for his reactions. We'll start here. Of course, big, it was basically the, the talk of the draft until Aaron Rodgers. Um, we knew Trevor Lawrence was going one. We basically knew Zach Wilson was going two. The big question was going to be number three. Was it going to be Trey Lance? Was it going to be Mac Jones? Would it be maybe Justin Fields? Would they then make a trade for Aaron Rodgers, bringing him in? A lot was going on. They eventually settled on Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. I love this pick. I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that if if we could get um, if we could get Colin Kaepernick coming out of Nevada, raw smaller school multi-level talented dual threat quarterback we can get Colin Kaepernick to start and turn in to Dak Prescott in three or four years I would be absolutely over the moon if Trey Lance ends up being that guy they also bring in Trey Sermon out of Ohio State and Eliza Mitchell out of Louisiana Dweez is always talking on the podcast here about Eliza Mitchell there's mixed feelings about Trey Sermon the Niners already have four running backs plus Kyle Juszczyk very, very busy here. So there's no redraft excitement, maybe out of all three of these guys. Trey Lance has a chance to kind of do a Justin Herbert eventually, but he's not going to be Joe Burrow from last year and start right away and, and come off the top. I just don't think that'll happen with Jimmy. Trey Sermon and Elijah Mitchell, though, could add a lot of value in dynasty leagues, but you may just have to sit on them for a year or two. Raheem Moster could be gone. Jeff Wilson, if he doesn't pan out, could be gone. 
we can definitely see uh, Jermichael Hasty end up leaving as well. And Wayne Gallman came in as a depth piece before these two draft picks, so he could be gone as well next year. So there is a chance that Trey Sermon and Eliza Mitchell are running things for San Francisco. And if that's the case, I want both of these guys with different skill sets. So, Bush, I'll kick it to you first, man. Any thoughts on what the 49ers did with uh, Lance Sermon or Mitchell? Real quick, the guy that you just mentioned, Wayne Gallman, that's the guy that's going to ruin Mike Davis. When he gets cut in training camp by the 49ers, he's literally going to Atlanta, and they're going to – the two handcuffs from last year are going to be in the same backfield, Wayne Gallman and 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 Mike Davis. And you're not going to want either one of them, but they'll both be valuable. Right, right. So, (laughs) I've said this before. You follow me on Twitter. You probably know this. Trey Lance is my one-on-one in Superflex Leagues. Let's go! The reason is, is because I'm a big believer of nurture over nature. Uh, I think the nest, uh, quote-unquote, for the quarterback position is the most important out of any position in all of sports. That means the franchise as a whole, the ownership, the stability, the, the uh, the historic nature of the franchise, if they're a winning franchise, losing franchise, whatever. Then you get down to the front office, the coaching staff, the weapons around them, the protection around them, the running backs behind them. All that stuff plays into a quarterback success. And when you look back over the past couple of drafts, Justin Herbert, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, all these guys went to teams that were already winning games. They had to trade up in most cases for these guys because they won too many games the previous season. And those guys, a lot of them, especially Josh Allen uh, and Patrick Mahomes, were project quarterbacks. They weren't ready-made studs that we know they are now. They were project quarterbacks and they went to good situations. And I think when you compare Trey Lance to Trevor Lawrence, who is the consensus 101 for Dynasty Superflex amongst the entire industry because Trevor Lawrence has probably been the 101 for the last three years for most people. Trevor Lawrence is an A-plus level prospect, but in my opinion, he went to a C-plus level landing spot. Whereas, 100% agree. Right. I'm with you on Whereas this. Whereas Trey Lance is an A-minus level prospect who went to a A-plus level landing spot with Brandon Ayuk, with Debo Samuel, with the bookend tackles that he has, with George Kittle, with Kyle run Shanahan game. calling up a run Defense. scheme. Everything about Trey Lance is awesome. And on top of all that, Trey Lance gives you something that Trevor Lawrence gives you to some extent, but not at the 1,200 yards and 17 rushing touchdowns that Trey Lance gave you at North Dakota State last year. So dual threat rushing quarterback, we've only seen this one other time in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And the guy won Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he was the QB3 in fantasy that year. And also, coincidentally enough, was traded up for with three first-round picks and went behind a generational prospect in the draft. So... To me, it's all tying together. This dude, I compared him to Steve McNair. I think he's super talented. I think he has the kind of out-of-structure plays that they've been missing for the last couple of years. The reason that they lost in that Super Bowl was because of an out-of-structure play by Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill, and Kyle Shanahan got his guy. Man, I mean, like, Bush, that was – I'm it, emotional. I love it. I love it. It's like I said the same thing. I was, like, thinking about it. Like, yep, yep, yep. Like, that's perfect. Yeah, I can't – break it down any better i think the one thing i will say though is i think there's uh, people overlook sometimes that sometimes coaching staffs like to bring in a guy a year before they know all their other players are going to go right so we know raheem Mostert, jeff wilson they're all udfas um under uh free agents next year so why not get trey sermon in there and get him on the system so that he can hit the ground running in 2022 now that be listen raheem morris uh raheem Mostert, when he plays is awesome we all know that he just can't stay healthy so I think adding depth to this running back room is just has to happen. We saw too many injuries over and over again. I guess the other question I do have, though, is George Kittle, 
Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. How do you guys feel about their value with Trey Lance if he gets to start? Let's say he does start week one. Um, Fantastic. How do you feel about those guys? Very yeah. good. I feel very good about it. I he just he's going to open the playbook. The run game's fresh. The offensive line's healthy. Defensive line is healthy. Everyone's got their position. And again, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but I'm going to keep saying this because when it goes off, I want to have the receipts for this. Jalen Hurd, in my opinion, is still the best receiver in San Francisco, and he hasn't even played yet. So they're able to get him get him going on. I think he's going to be just fine. So the 49ers in 2000, I'm going to throw out in last year. Last year for the Niners was a train wreck. Everybody was, was hurt, rotational running backs. I'm just going to get rid of last year. 2019 on the way to the Super Bowl, the 49ers were second in rush attempts and rushing yards behind only the Ravens, and they led the league in rushing touchdowns as a team. I think they can absolutely do that again this year and for the next couple of years, assuming guys stay healthy. All right, guys, Last we're getting question. long. Got, Scott, yeah, one ahead. question. Ayuk or Samuel? Who you guys got? Uh, Ayuk. I have Ayuk as well. I, I, I See, here's the thing with this offense. From a dynasty perspective, I will invest everything I got in this offense because I think it's going to be a top three unit, Chiefs 1B, like legitimately. I think time. this is – you want your Debo Samuel shares. You want your Brandon Ayuk shares. You want your George Kittle shares. And I don't want any of the running backs because I know how Kyle Shanahan operates. When it's third down and short, he gets his third down and short back out there. When it's a goal line situation, he gets his goal line back out there. When it's a receiving situation, he gets his receiving back out there. And you're never going to guess who it is on any given week. So Trey Sermon, completely out on. He's going way too high for my liking. He's like a back end of the first round pick in some rookie drafts, which is absolutely absurd in my opinion. He was a guy that I, I wasn't all that high on going into the draft, and it's a good landing spot for him from an individual production standpoint, but if anybody's expecting this guy to turn into a top five, top ten running back, it's never going to happen in Kyle Shanahan's offense. He's a guy who's going to be in RB2 territory if he is the feature guy, which I still think Raheem Mostert's the more talented running back. And the rushing offense for the 49ers is great for the NFL, mixing up your running backs like we've seen the frustrating Patriots do forever. It's great for NFL, frustrating for uh, fantasy. Bush, right. I 100% agree there. All right, guys, we're long in the tooth here. I'm going to blaze through the next couple of teams, the Cardinals, Rams, and Seahawks. And actually, none of them, in my opinion, with the exception of maybe Rondale Moore, had any big fantasy uh, relevance. So I'm going to break the mold a little bit. I'm going to give you all three of these teams Rundown quick. We'll get your uh, we'll get your uh, feedback and we'll get out of here. We'll start with the Cardinals here in the second round. Rondale Moore out of Purdue. A lot of question marks from him. Phenomenal athlete. Injury concerns. Four three forty. Benches over six hundred pounds. Squatted six hundred pounds. Deep threat or run in the slot. Taken over from my man Larry Fitz. Or he can play deep. Andy Isabella has been a player that fantasy folks have wanted to be a thing. He's, he's kind of the Scotty Miller on the other side for the Cardinals. He's just not going to be it. Um, Nuke Hopkins is Nuke Hopkins, of course, but Christian Kirk, like up and down as well. If Rondale Moore can stay healthy, is he going to be able to be that playmaker the Cardinals offense really has been looking for outside of Nuke Hopkins? We'll go to the Rams. Tutu Atwell, another small receiver, was arguably the best slot receiver, I would argue. Excuse me, I would argue there's some other options there, but very small as we know, uh, only 149 pounds or something as he came in. But Josh Reynolds is gone, okay? Josh Reynolds leaves, who I've actually liked a lot since he came out of Texas A&M with the Rams. He's just been buried behind Cup and Woods for years. 176 vacated targets. Josh Reynolds is now in Tennessee. By the way, until Julio Jones goes to Tennessee, which will happen in a few months, but we won't talk about that yet, 
Josh Reynolds, nobody's talking about Josh Reynolds. It's all A.J. Brown, which I'm all about A.J. Brown. But Josh Reynolds in like the 12th round of a redraft league because nobody even knows who he is, take that please to the bank. Because even if Julio comes in, you're willing to wash it out. And Gerald Everett, the Bobby's man, another deep tight end in Seattle now. So 176 vacated targets is all cup and woods and run game. We know that. But with Matt Stafford coming in now as the um, – quarterback for the Rams I think it's wheels up for this offense they had a couple other guys here uh Jacob Harris uh Jake Funk and then Ben um Swogenreck. I'm not I don't see any of those guys uh becoming fantasy relevant anytime soon and then finally with the Seahawks Dwayne Eskridge another I think great player if he gets the opportunity but of course it's going to be Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf um all day long he was the state of Indiana Mr. Track in 2016 in high school he adds another deep threat for Russ. And look, I don't think that this pick is going to let Russ cook, quote-unquote, that we saw for the first half of last year because the problem was Seattle was losing those games. Dak Prescott in the Cowboys offense was phenomenal for fantasy football. Guess what? They were losing those games. Jerry Jones doesn't care. Pete Carroll doesn't care, right? They need to win those games. They weren't. They run the ball in Seattle. They're going to continue to do that. The efficiency is going to be sky high, but the volume is going to be rock bottom. So I don't expect Dwayne Eskridge to come in and out of nowhere be catching all these deep bombs. But you did have David Moore, who was kind of a best ball guy, a deep you know, deep threat on occasion, DFS player at least, able to catch deep bombs. And we know that when Russ throws it, he's throwing it 30, 40 yards, and it can't all be DK and uh, Tyler Lockett. So I know it's a mouthful, guys. Let's run through real quick. Bush, we'll start with you. Rondale Moore with the Cardinals. Tutu Atwell with the Rams and Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan for the Seahawks. He summed it up perfectly with Eskridge. Best ball guy only. He's, that's exactly how I feel about him. From a dynasty perspective, I mean, Tyler Lockett just reached a new agreement with him. I believe it was last offseason. So yep. it's not even like you could be like, oh, he's the new Tyler Lockett a couple of years from now. But I mean, who the heck knows with, with the Seahawks? They, they took the chef cleaver right out of Russ's hands about halfway through the season <laughs> last year. So, I mean, maybe Dwayne Eskridge is an imp, uh, imp implication that they're going to go towards a bit more of a pass heavy scheme, but they, 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 it's Pete Carroll. Anytime he gets in front of a microphone talks about how much he wants to run the ball. So, and they re-signed Chris Carson to prove how much they want to want to run the ball. And they were sniffing around Leonard Fournette and a number of other free agents. So I think exactly how you said it with Eskridge is exactly how I feel about it. Tutu Atwell weighs as much as I do next. I don't care. Like we're talking about Devontae Smith being underweight. Tutu Atwell weighed 149 pounds in Indianapolis, which is literally like actually less than I weigh, which is yeah. insane to me. So I, there's no chance in hell. I don't care that they picked him in the second round. There's no chance in hell. This guy's going to be fantasy relevant. Maybe he's again, much like Dwayne Eskridge, a best ball guy. Maybe he gets involved at some point uh, in the deep game, in the short game. I just, he's just a guy I'm willing to let other people just chase the draft capital on. I, I just don't believe in him as a player. And then Rondell Moore was a guy that I had been well-documented lower on than other people, but the guy's a freak athlete. He is probably pound for pound the best athlete in the entire draft, maybe sans Jalen Waddle. But Rondell Moore is going to a situation that a lot of people are ticketing for fantasy superstardom, right? They're like, oh, but like Cliff Kingsbury, creative offensive mind, that's all we wanted for Rondell Moore. But the problem is, is that Rondell Moore will always be a guy that needs to be schemed touches. When you look at his kind of receiving depth chart or receiving chart, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he basically got like 80% of his work close to the line of scrimmage where he was getting drags and screens and bubbles and carries and stuff. 
And part of that is because Purdue's quarterback was terrible. But another part of that was that that's how they used Rondell Moore. And they're the coaching staff. They should know how to use this guy best. And the number of times that he did get used in the deep game, he he's five foot seven. Like he's a small guy. It's hard for him to be used in that way. So yes, I'm excited about it. It's better than him going to like the Giants where he's got Jason Garrett calling plays for him, but no offense. But <laughs> we know, but, we know Bush. It's cool. We know. Right. But Cliff Kingsbury hasn't shown us that he's some elite offensive mind. It's not like he went, I, I actually would, the, the place I wanted him to go was actually the place that my, my dude in the draft went, where Elijah Moore went for the New York Jets. That's where I wanted Rondell Moore to go because I thought Mike LaFleur serving as the passing game coordinator for the 49ers these last couple of years would have known how to use a guy like Rondell Moore. Whereas Cliff Kingsbury is kind of like a, he's like a Walmart version of Sean McVay. Everyone thinks he's a great offensive coordinator, but he hasn't really, really shown us that yet. Love it. I love and the so, Walmart and so version. Far, <laughs> and, and so far with the Walmart reference, he's also cheaper because he hasn't been to a Super Bowl. So well done. True. Right. True. You yeah, get you no, get two like, points on that. Bobby, uh, last um yeah. last comments here on those three points. Yeah, just Eskridge. I guess my question, he's like 5'9", 190. Is he gonna be suited to play on the outside? I know Lockett played a lot in this that's what he does, but is uh tell me your thoughts on is he gonna kick inside more? Is that gonna push Lockett outside, or do you think he's gonna have to figure it out out wide, take over for David Moore? That's why the pick just doesn't make any sense, right? Like, gotcha. that's why we're just like, I don't know, man. Like, Tyler Lockett can play on the outside a little bit, but if, yeah. if he is a primary slot receiver. I think Eskridge is going to make an impact immediately on special teams, of course, because he's got the, the blazing speed, the track speed. I just don't see how they're going to use this guy. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think they're going to try and add a veteran receiver at some point in the offseason, whether it's, I don't know if they're sniffing around Josh Gordon still or something like that, but get a third receiver, a veteran and use Dwayne Eskridge sparingly in the offense, yeah. probably a, a DFS showdown guy, a best ball guy, but that's about the extent I see him. Unless something happens with Lockett in the next couple of years, I, I just don't see how he's going to get involved in the offense. And he's a guy from a prospect standpoint that had a number of red flags all over the place, including the fact that he wasn't really all that productive until this year. And he's like 23 years old. Yeah. So what, the one thing I, I noticed when I looked at his size, I thought Gerald Everett, because of his connection to the new OC, Shane Waldron, he does have a leg up on everybody else because he does know the offense, which is surprising for a guy coming in. I think Gerald Everett could carve out a better role in the red zone because they're going to have Metcalf, obviously. And Tyler Lockett, for his size, is fantastic in the red zone. Makes no sense. But Gerald Everett, I think this this pick actually solidifies Gerald Everett a little bit more because he does he can carve out a role in the middle of the field and in the red zone. Now, moving to the Rams, I, listen, I think it starts and ends with Matthew Stafford. I think this pick is great. Keep giving him more talent. But if I'm going to go best ball, I know this is probably a, a bad take, but I would just take Deshaun Watson, um, Deshaun Jackson, the last pick. You know, because D-Jax, if he stays healthy, we've seen him blow up. You know, he always has one game a year, right? He could win you one game when he blows up and gets hurt the next week. But, like, I just think that from that standpoint, this 2-2 Atwell kid, when I, I actually looked at all the, the recent – you know, stats between, you know, the picks I talked a little bit earlier, it's a, it's a, it's less than a 50, 50 that these guys work out in the second round for receivers. So I might take, I might take, I might fade him completely, but I think just Stafford being there, I, you know, I personally just think that don't, don't fade Robert Woods. Don't fade Cooper cup. Just ride those guys. Those are the guys you want. And then Rondell Moore with the, the Arizona cars. I think you hit it on the head. Cliff Kingsbury is a Walmart version of Sean McVay. I wonder if he's a Walmart version of Chip Kelly in the NFL with just how things have gone so far. But the thing I will say about Rondell Moore is 
he if you're if you're starting to see him in the second, maybe even I, he's not going to fall to the third, but in the second round of rookie drafts, what is notable? Christian Kirk is a free agent next year. AJ Green is a free agent next year. So him coming in, he could immediately become. If you see any flashes this year, he could be a valuable pick next year when he gets the number two job because they don't have a pass catching tight end. They let Dan Arnold walk. So I think overall, I think Rondell Moore. It's a. It's definitely not a year I'm going to invest in him, but I'll be watching him throughout the year to see if he's worth it in 2022. Yeah, he's 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 going to be a guy that I just let other people pick. Like I'll rank him where I got him ranked. I think if he falls to a certain point, I'll pick him. But this is a guy we're talking about going in the early second round consistently of Superflex rookie drafts. And to me, I would much rather have Deami Brown than him. I would much rather have um, Terrace Marshall than him. I would much rather have even Amonra St. Brown than him. So he's just a guy I'm just going to like bypass. I'm just going to let somebody else make that mistake and hopefully. He's got he's got his truthers, so I'm sure people will take him for you if you don't want to deal with him. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think his rookie year, he's probably not going to have that big of an impact. I know they run more four wide receiver sets over the last two years than any other team, but even still, it, was anybody interested in Keyshawn Johnson or Andy Isabella the last couple of years just because they ran four receiver sets? Obviously, he's a more talented player than those guys, but still, I, I don't think the volume is going to be there for that offense. We know Hopkins is going to get his. We know... I mean, Chase Edmonds is probably going to have a similar role to what you could imagine for Rondell Moore anyway. So that's that's an interesting kind of wrinkle that I've also noticed as well. What about, have, let's get Bush's opinion on Chase Edmonds. What do you think about it? They didn't go out and get a, a high-profile rookie running back. They brought in James Conner. What's your thoughts? I actually made a trade in a dynasty league right before the draft because I didn't expect them to let Chase Edmonds be the dude. I traded away Michael Thomas and Chase Edmonds for the 105 and the 111. And then I actually ended up making a separate trade where I moved up from the 111 to the 107. But anyways, I think Chase Edmonds is probably going to be what Chase Edmonds has already been, but a little bit better than than that. Yeah. Probably He's probably looking more at a ceiling similar to Tariq Cohen a couple of years ago or to James White a couple years ago. So I think James Conner is going to be involved or whoever else they add to that backfield because I do think they could still add another uh, veteran to that backfield. It's going to be probably a committee with Chase Edmonds being the most valuable, especially in any kind of PPR. Cool. Yeah, it's a great call. I was just going to mention that they bring in James Conner, so they have two pass-catching running backs, um, which might affect a little bit. I didn't even mention Green when I was talking about the Cardinals because I just think he's going to be a, a sub-piece at this point in a, in a red zone option. So, awesome, man. Hey, Bush, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I know we've been trying to do this for a long time. Thank you for coming on. Incredible insight. Always love your work. Um, Always rooting for you guys over at the Stock Exchange. Thank you for everything that you do for the fantasy community um, and your hosting uh, credentials as well. Before we get out of here, man, please let the TCK Potters know where they can find all of your content. Yeah, like I said, you can follow me on Twitter at Football Stock. You can check out all of the stuff that we're doing on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Fantasy Stock Exchange. The Fantasy Stock Exchange.com is our draft guide. We got a pretty exciting announcement coming in the next couple of days regarding our season long draft guide that we'll be dropping probably around mid July. So stay tuned for that. Follow me on Twitter and I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll be the one who announces that. And you can follow my co-host as well at Danny football 59. We're cranking out content pretty much nonstop. So uh, make sure you guys stick around with us. We have 17 games now in the NFL Buccaneers record prediction. I think they win 13 or 14 probably. <laughs> And then probably what four more after that? Well, no, because they won't. That's have the, the wild goal. Card. I'm, I'm not sure. We they could have a hangover. <laughs> could be like a uh, like an 11, 12 win bro. team that gets ousted in the second round. Who the heck knows? But hopefully they go back to back.
Awesome, man. Well, best of luck to your Bucks, man. It's been a pleasure to have you on. We'll definitely be doing this again soon. Shouts out to the Fantasy Stock Exchange, you and Danny and the rest of the crew. Thank you for coming on. Bobby Lamarco, a.k.a. Fantasy Football X Factor. Always a pleasure as well. My name is Sky Guasco, host of the TCK Pod, Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast, Episode 387, Rookie Rundown in the books. Catch us next week. We'll be breaking down the rest of the divisions. And until next time, shouts out to the Jersey Jungle and Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Enjoy yourself. We'll catch you next week. For Bush, Bobby, I'm your host, Sky Guasco, and we'll catch you next time. We are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.